I was born in 1977, so I'm old enough to remember television shows that had smart dads. I remember television shows where dads were not idiots. Now, in the 80s, they got into being kind of silly. You know, the wife was obviously smarter. Everybody knows Clara Huxtable was so much smarter than Heathcliff, right? But he was still a good and wise man. <clears throat> then in the 90s, we got to the point where men were just idiots, always apologizing on TV, always doing the wrong thing, always needing their wife to, to guide them into wisdom. And that wasn't necessarily uh, off the mark, but fatherhood took a hit over the years, I would say. Our, our esteem of fatherhood in our country has taken a great hit. There's the belief in many houses that you don't need a man. Now, that's Mother's Day, so why am I talking about fatherhood? Well, I don't know if you've been paying attention the last few years, but we are doing the same thing to women. We are erasing women. I saw recently, just this past week, where a congresswoman, although I guess to be correct, I should say congressperson, or possibly being who works in Congress, I don't know the right way of communicating about people these days. But she, in support of a bill that she had introduced to support mothers, she referred to these people not as mothers, but as birthing people. And over the last year, we have seen where, uh, you know, men can give, ba have, give birth to babies too, has been stated. Uh, we have the assault on women's athletics that a guy or a person who was born with uh, the male anatomy who is strong with testosterone can change his identity, not need to change much else, and is allowed to compete against women. You know, and the funny thing was is that we've always been working to get where women could compete with men <laughs> to a certain extent. And now we're taking it the other way. And we are destroying what it means to be male and female as a, as a society. I'm not saying we here, but as a society, we are destroying these things. We're saying there's nothing different. You know, the, the, the fact that a man could... Uh, abandon his family, instead of saying that's wrong, we should encourage men not to, we should incentivize and, uh, you know, give them incentives not to, instead we said let's see if we can find out a way to let women abandon their families too. And we're just headed the wrong way. And, 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 and so what I'd like to do today is just to get back to the beginning as far as not our understanding of how the world works or our understanding of manhood and womanhood, but what does God say about these things? And we might not all fulfill, and obviously half of us don't fulfill because we're men, but even those of us that are women may not fulfill everything we're going to look at. You know, there are, there are some women who do not get married. 
There are some women who do not have children. That does not make them less of a woman. And so if these things don't uh, directly apply, you know, some people are not able to. And, and there's no desire to uh, malign a person. And sometimes we shrink back from the text because we're afraid of what we might say or do to somebody and how we might hurt them. And the desire isn't to say this is how you should be individually necessarily, but to say this is how God has set things up. Let's glorify in the structure. You know, the the overwhelming structure. And and so what I want to look at, we're actually going to look at two passages. Our primary passage is going to be Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, but then we'll also go over to 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 14. And, and, and we'll kind of ping pong back and forth between them. So if you need to get a finger in one of them, that might be a good idea. Or if you, you know, one of you can be in Titus, the other one of you can be in 1 Timothy if you want to, you can figure it out. But, but let's go ahead and go to Titus chapter 2. And we're just going to look at verses 3 through 5. Now, now, Paul has written to Titus about older men. And in June, we'll take a look at men. Today, we're taking a look at women and, and specifically motherhood as it pertains to, to women. He says in verse 3, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Very short. And notice the span of older women, younger women. You know, there, there's a sense where the older women are kind of looking back. They've gone through it. They've taken the journey, and they are able to instruct the younger women. For, for good or bad in how, how we have done things, we can hopefully instruct the younger to help them avoid some of our pitfalls, right? And so the older women can instruct and teach the younger women that they might do certain things. And we're going to take a look at those as we get in there. But, but go ahead and, and turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, now, 1 Timothy 5 is talking about widows in particular. But, but there'll be some parallels, some things that, are, that go the same direction as Titus did. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, I'm going to pick up at verse 9. And, and here Paul is talking about a list that they would have. And, and it's kind of just a, an order of elderly women who are widowed. And, and the problem back then was they didn't have Social Security. They didn't have retirement plans. They didn't have a way that a, a man could put a, aside money for his wife so much. If a woman's husband died, and if she had no children to care for her, she was on her own. And, and so Paul is writing, and, and because of the, it's the church... Uh, because these are women who believe in Jesus, they might be Jewish women who have uh, started following Jesus. And so even if they had adult children, 
Those adult children might have disowned her. It might be a Gentile, a Greek, or a Roman woman who has been following Jesus, and she might have adult children that should be able to take care of her. But because of her faith in Jesus, they've pushed her aside. So there, there are different reasons why a woman might be in a position where she needs the church's help. She doesn't have the children to provide for her. The church should help out and provide. So they created a list, and, and Paul is writing to Timothy instructions for what kind of a woman should be on this list? He says to him in, in verse 9, a, woman, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, literally one man woman. And in, in, verse, in chapter 3, uh, you know, a husband of only one wife is a one woman man. You know, a, a one man woman. So exactly what... Paul talked about for men in chapter 3 for being elders. This is what a woman who's going to be a, a, on the widow's list. A one-woman man. Or excuse me, a one-man woman. And then verse 10. Having a reputation for good works and if she has brought up children. If she has shown hospitality to strangers. If she has washed the saints' feet. If she has uh, assisted those in distress. So, so basically, nurturing and helpful and caring for other people. And if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list. For when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. So... so there seems to have been something where this list was women who have pledged themselves to singlehood as widows for the Lord. Uh, it makes me wonder if this is kind of the, the early start to, to our you know, nuns of today. He says, don't let younger widows be put on the list. Not, not because they're, they're too flippant and all those things. What he's really getting at here is they still want to have life and children and and they'll desire to have a husband, and they'll neglect the promise they made, the pledge they made to Jesus. He says not only that, at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Ooh, that might not win me a few friends in this day and age, right? One of the things that is common in both of these is the older and younger have a husband, bear children, keep house not bring any dishonor to the Word of God, and in here, that our enemies might not have occasion for reproach, to revile us, to, to put us down because of the widow's bad behavior. One of the things that, that, that is overwhelmingly clear, I think, in both of these, and, and has taken it on the chin in our culture, in our society, is the basic fact that it is God's design for women to marry and have children. 
Not that every woman has to do it, but if we go into physical design, we are designed for women to bear children. We are designed and created to be in relationship for, with one another. There's a, the, you know, the woman was taken out of the side of the man, which has a, a, an equalness to it, not out of his head, not out of his feet, but out of his side. They've been separated. And at the end, what does God say? That, that the, for this reason, the man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. So you had this separation of creating man and woman. And when man and woman come back together, there's the reuniting of one flesh. It's not just a, a physical thing. It's a spiritual. It's, it's going back to it. And so we are designed. And men are not designed to carry babies. It doesn't work. Men are not designed to give children nourishment from after they've been born. Not part of the design. Whether we use the design or if we use formula is all to the side. It's the way it was created. It's the way we were created. It's God's design for women to marry and have children. It is the basic, foundational bedrock of society. Before you have governments and nations, before you have states and cities, before you have even just the smallest village, you have the family. And the family is centered around a husband and a wife having kids. Now there are many variations on that, but that is the basic, fundamental design that God has given us. And it is, not, uh, it is not good for us as a society to ignore that. To say that, oh, it's okay, two people of the same sex can raise a child equally well. That is, that is something our world has created. That is not something God has created. That is not something God has ordained or proclaimed. God has proclaimed male-female. Anything else, anything less, is an outflow of our brokenness and our sin. Think of it this way. I'm sure most people in here would probably say they respect police officers, right? And, and we're glad to have people who will, will protect us, and hopefully we won't get on the wrong side of them and, and be at fault for it. But police officers and a police force, that is an that is a part of the fall. The fact that we need people to proclaim this is right, that is wrong, you're doing something that is wrong is part of the fall. If, if, if there wasn't sin in our lives, we would have no need for judges and courts and police officers and jail. That is all an outflow. Even though we might say as a society we want to support it and we need it, it is an outflow of our failure. It's an outflow of our sin. In the same way, the fact that some children need foster parents, some children need adoptive parents, it's wonderful and a blessing that we are capable of developing and increasing the families through adoption and helping out families through foster. But that flows out of our brokenness as people, as, as, as 
sinful people. It's a blessing that we have it. But the ultimate focus and, and purpose, the, the design that reminds us how far we fall short, right, is for women to get married and have children. And, and, and truly, this is, this is the, 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 the leading edge. If you look back, again, Titus chapter 2, verse 5 there, uh, that, that women would be sensible and pure, Workers at home. Now, this is really going to get me in trouble, right? Women should be working at home. If you go to 1 Timothy 5, verse 14, I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, to keep house. Let me tell you something. Work at home, that's the way it was written, that, that women need to work at home. Keep house is a poor translation. This word for keep house, it's a, the, it, it's, it's a compound word, oika despoteo. And if you listen right in the middle of there, despo, D-E-S-P-O-T, despot, right? It's the word we get despot from. And, and it means to rule. It doesn't mean just to, to keep it up. The noun for this word is translated head of household. So when a man is called the head of household in Scripture, it's the noun version of this word. But, but Paul is telling T Timothy, these younger widows, they need to get married, they need to have kids, and they need to rule the house. They need to rule a home. And, and think about it. How much of our lives is based on, you know, men like to say, oh, it's Mike Castle. You know, I'm a king of the castle. It's my home. I, I'd say what happens here, right? I'm not going to ask for a sign of hands of who agrees with that. All I can tell you is that for the most part, if you go into somebody's home, that home is going to be a reflection of the woman who was in charge of that home. And maybe he will have half a closet that he can claim to be his own. Maybe. Maybe he will have a room and he'll call it his cave. And it's where he gets to go and do his manly stuff, right? I have a section of the garage. I don't like to be in it in the summertime. It's too hot. And it really doesn't reflect me but I've got a section of the garage that I, I pretty much, you know, be honest, I get told to clean it. I get told to straighten it up and I get offered the, the help of doing this, which really, that burns me up. But I get that little section. But our house, and I would, I would guess most houses that have a woman residing in them I'm pretty sure she's running the show on how is this thing decorated? How is this thing set up? Who does what here? I, if, if for nothing else, I'm not at home as much. I show up. You know, Billy Graham used to do this to his wife, Ruth. It was a terrible thing. He showed up. All rules went out the window while he was at home. He might be home for two months, three months. He might be home for two weeks. Whenever he came home, 
Everything went out the window. He, he just, chaos. And then he would go to another crusade or he would go on another journey and it would take her a week or two, but she would get the kids riled, you know, rounded up again and she would get them orderly and, and she would re-instill discipline. Ruth raised those kids. Ruth ran that house. And she just had to give it to him because he was so upset that he wasn't around enough. She allowed him to disrupt her life and their lives whenever he was home. The language here in 1 Timothy is, is truly to be the head of this household, to, to run it, to rule it. And, and, and I think we need to recognize, and, and we've, I, there's always this struggle in our culture with, between the sexes, but, but women lead in making the home. Uh, it's a good thing. It, it doesn't diminish from men to say women lead in making the home. They're the ones that make it happen. You know, that, that hey, we have kids here. We're raising them. It becomes less a, I mean, you always can tell when you go and visit college students and, you know, the dorm and, and if it's a guy's room. I remember reading a story about the, these women, this, you know, parents were attending like a parents weekend and they went and saw this room and, and there were food all over the place and the place was just trashed. And all the women were just appalled at the condition that their sons were living in. And one of the dads looked around and said, oh, it's awesome. Like he, he missed. He missed back when he used to live like that. Because he hadn't lived like that for years. Right? Women lead in making the home. Not men, generally. There might be exceptions to this rule. There might be men who are really good interior designers and their wives say, you lead, honey. You do a great job. But for the most part... Women lead in making the home. It's not just uh, women leading in in that way, but uh, you go back to, to Pro- <laughs> excuse me, you go back to Proverbs. Uh, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. The Bible doesn't say the the wise man builds his house and the foolish man tears it down. Later on, we get the wise man builds his house on the rock. But there's something fundamental that the the health of a home is based on the woman of the home. We have a saying, right? Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You know, if you you change that and you say, if daddy ain't happy, nobody happy, it sounds abusive. If you actually talk to somebody and say, wow, you know, nobody, if dad's upset, nobody's happy in the home. That sounds like an abusive situation where he has got them under his thumb. But to say, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Maybe that could be an abusive situation. But for the most part, it means she's in charge and we try to keep her happy. And we don't want to bring mud in on the carpet and we don't want to bleed on the rug. We want to keep mama happy because she is the one who builds her house or tears it down by her spirit, by her actions, by her attitude, by her treatment of everyone around her. More so than the man, the woman, whether she is wise or foolish, 
Proverbs 25, 24 tells us it is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. In other words, if a woman is bad enough, it is better to get out. It is better not to be there. The the converse, of course, is if she's wonderful and engaging and not contentious, but accommodating, how wonderful is it to be there? Right? But by and large, the woman builds the home. The woman leads in making the home a home. We have a, a, a kind of a, an unspoken tradition in our culture. Uh, a house is bought whose name is generally the house put in. Maybe this isn't a widespread thing, but in my experience, it's almost always been put in the name of the wife. Just an interesting thing. You know, it's kind of a, it's a, it's her home. He may work hard to pay it off, but it's her home. I'm always surprised when I hear of a couple, I'm upset when I hear about people splitting up, but I'm always surprised when I hear that the wife moved. Probably a sexist thing about me, but I always just assume he's got to get out. It's her house, right? She's the one who makes it. Wives and women, now that doesn't mean a man can't make a house a bad place too. But I think it's good of us to recognize just how important the happiness of a home is based on the wife and mother who resides there. Changes everything more so than, than we men do. And, and there is something, you know, in those Proverbs, there's also in... in, in uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 5, where he says to be subject to their own husbands. Teach the younger wives to be subject to their own husbands. And maybe you don't like that. I think it's part of leadership, though, to, to submit ourselves to those around us and to, to subject to yourself. This is a passive word. It's a passive verb, which means that the women do it to themselves. It's not a man subjecting a woman. It's a woman subjecting herself to her husband. She has the power. In, in normal relationships, now obviously there are abnormal relationships where things get out of whack. But in a normal situation, in a normal Christian situation, the woman has the power to deny, to push away, to feed or not to feed, to provide comfort or not. And he encourages them to subject, subject themselves to their husbands. It, it's the same verb used of Jesus when his parents came and found him in the temple and as they left he subjected himself to them in all things it's not a lack of power it's a willing decision now there are some some negative statements in both of these in Titus chapter 2 in verse 3, we have where he tells us that older women should not be malicious gossips. Luke has, or not, in 1 Timothy, he has some of the same things there in verse 13, where he tells us 
that uh, when young widows are added to the list, they, they learn to be idle. They go around from house to house. Not only are they idle, but they're gossips and busybodies. They just prattle on and talk about all sorts of things. We, we, our, our, our science has shown us that women use up a whole lot more words in a day than men do. Some days, Amy's, you know, she's ready to talk, but I've preached and talked to people at church. I've already used up most of my words. I get home, I have very few words to use. Which is alright, because a lot of times she wants me to listen. So maybe it's not a bad thing I use up most of my words. But it can go negative. It can turn into gossip. It can turn into malicious gossip, slandering people. But, but if we say, well, this is a negative, a potential negative, what's the positive of that? The positive of that is that if women want to talk to other people and engage with other people, they are skilled and gifted and able to make those connections. Uh, science has shown us that women are thinking about a lot of things all at once, and they're all connected, whereas men, we love in the box. I don't want to talk about that right now because I am in this thing right here. I can't talk about that because I am currently working on this. If you want to talk about that, I will have to stop what I am doing to talk about it. And women, they can do it all, right? They can do lots and lots and lots of things. If you left it up to men, you'd have a lot of solitary groups. But women are vital to the development and maintenance of community. Women make community happen. Women are the ones that say, let's all get together and let's do this. And they're the ones that keep contacts a whole lot better. Some men do, but for the most part, women are much better at making contact and keeping contact and keeping a community together. And as we try to say, well, women shouldn't be that way. Women should be more like men. We do a disservice to ourselves. You know, my sister has a baby. I tell Amy, she had a baby. Oh, really? What's her name? And I know that answer. When she had her? I don't know. How heavy was she? I don't know. How long was she? I don't know. How long did she labor? I don't know. Like, I don't do anything right. I didn't get any of the information correct. Second time my sister had a baby, I was taking notes. Okay, Mom, and how long? How heavy? How long was the labor? How'd the labor go? Oh, yeah? Oh, okay. And I'm sitting here thinking, I don't want to know this. <laughs> but my wife does, and I learned to ask the right questions. But as a guy, sis had a baby. Outstanding. That's awesome. Great job. I don't keep the community going. I don't keep the connections going. Women develop it and often maintain it. In the church that we went to when we first got married, Sunday school classes were arranged based on the age of the wife. Married Sunday school classes, if, if you were married to a woman and she was 20 years younger than you, you were hanging around with people 20 years younger than you because they just assumed we're going to set you in the class that is right for the woman the guy will get along just fine. He'll, he'll just follow along like a puppy dog. He'll be great. But women are vital, I think, so much so to the development and maintenance of community. We see it within the church. 
You know, a lot of people are concerned about, oh, the feminization of the church. Oh, please. How vital is it to have women who lead and who guide us and help us to keep together and maintain the community of the church? It starts in the home. And then it spreads. Women do a great job of that. Yeah, if it goes negative, we can get into the gossip. But boy, the good thing is, is that you keep our community together. One of the things I really want to point out about that Paul says to both Titus and Timothy. In Titus 2.5, remember he says, why does he want them to, to, to marry and uh, to love their husbands, love their kids? Subject themselves to their own husbands so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. And then to Timothy, why does he tell them, hey, these younger widows, we don't want them to join the list. They really need to get married, have kids, raise, you know, build a household. Why? So that the enemy will have no occasion for reproach. One of the, the simplest reasons for trying to uh, follow what is in Scripture is that when we do that, we are, we are honoring God. And this is both of these things and the reason for, for working at having a family. Even in, you know, Some of us, we have to work outside the home. Some of us need to work outside. I know women that, that they cannot, you know, there's only so much time I can put into this relationship. I need outside influence. Sometimes we need to work outside of the home, not saying anything against that, but just recognizing that even as we work outside the home and even as we have those things to do, the work in the home is so vitally important. It shouldn't be neglected because ultimately the purpose for this and hopefully our desire is for God's glory. The purpose of our relationships, the purpose of the family, the purpose and the goal, the desired effect would be to give God glory. Hopefully that's our desire within life. I think one of the struggles that we have had as a society recently is that we no longer seek God's glory, we seek our own glory. And if we say, well, I don't feel much glory at home, I can go looking for that glory elsewhere. Or we can see friends that aren't married and have a career, and we can think, wow, they're respected in the, in the community. They've got this going for them. They've got that going for them. They don't have Cheerios in their hair. What a great life. I want that. And we forget that it's not about our glory. I, I think one of our struggles, and I know it's a, it's a struggle I have, is we can be so focused on the grand big stories, you know, the, the, the really moving things, the things that end up in history books. If you look at it from God's perspective, everything you do is in a history book. There, there's going to be a section about the day that you comforted little Johnny when he scraped his knee. And how, how glorious and great and sacrificial. You were working on something else and you put it aside and you helped him out. How great was that? And we might think these are little insignificant things, but, but that's not looking at it from God's perspective. That's looking at it from our perspective. 
But when we look at it from God's perspective, that work that we do, and this is for men as well as women, the work that we do in our homes and in our families, while it might not make the evening news, it makes God's evening news. He is glorified in it. He takes pleasure in it. And our ultimate desire and our ultimate purpose should be for God's glory. I want to encourage you to encourage the women in your life. If you are a woman here and you are a mother, I want to encourage you in your motherhood of the great and wonderful things you are capable of. The great and impactful things you have done and will do. I want to encourage you that for good or ill, you build your house. If it's a joyful place, we celebrate you. If it's a place of of comfort and restoration, we give you at least 95% of the credit. Maybe, Maybe your husband has done a little bit to help, but it's mostly probably because of your grace and your goodness and your love. And in a society that constantly wants to tell us that that women are just like men and women can do everything men can do, why would you want to? Why would you want to do half the things men do? Men don't even like doing some of the stuff we do. Instead, let's just be thankful we've got women in this world who do wonderful things great things. And we recognize that we don't do all of them and we fail and we fall down on many things. We recognize that. But you build our homes. You build our families. You build our lives. You give us the foundation. You give us the community that we have. We thank God for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for uh, the ways that you work in our lives. We thank you for our mothers and the women of our church and our community. Lord, we thank you for the the ways that they, they connect us and help us to continue to grow. We pray, Father, for those who are raising their own families right now and, and building their own homes. We pray, Lord, that you give them grace and patience, long-suffering, Lord, as they raise children. Lord, we pray for peace in our homes between spouses. We pray for the men of our church that they would be supportive and understanding, that they would live sacrificially with their wives. We pray, Lord, for our wives and our women and our mothers that that they would be of peace. That they would lead in the building of homes that are designed and, and focused on your glory. We pray, Father, that in our actions and our interactions with one another, we would see Jesus. We would see you. And we would feel your love. We ask this in Jesus' name today. Amen.